0: Our subject this morning is the hurt of unjust suffering. If you look at your bulletin outline, the first point is a statement we often make, even in our prayers sometimes, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. All of us understand sinful behavior well enough to realize that when we sin, there are consequences. The biblical principle is this. Do not be deceived. I'm reading scripture. Do not be deceived. God cannot be marked. A man reaps what he sows. Galatians 6 verse 7. Or again, from Proverbs 11 verse 18. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. The reward, however might not be immediately evident in this life. And therein is where our faith is tested. Sometimes we sow righteousness and we reap an evil response from others. We plant the good, we reap the bad. The principle of cause and effect seems to have gone awry. We get upset by this because we have been taught all of our lives what Peter says in verses 10 and following of our text. For whoever would love life and seek good days, what, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. This is sowing, you see sowing, 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 good here. All of these wonderful things. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? We've taught that all of our lives. And we're ready to shout hallelujah, you know. Because underneath the outcomes of our behavior, we are trusting God to oversee and manage the wicked around us, including Satan, so as to protect and preserve his people from injustice. It's a matter of fairness, we think. Well, we're living the righteous life. He's called us to live. I don't deserve trouble. But guess what? Injustice happens. And it happens everywhere in a fallen world. Peter had to deal with this among his people in the first century. Look at the next verse, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. Well, wait a minute. Suffering for what is right? How did that get in there? I thought if we sowed righteousness, we would reap what is good. I thought God was overseeing and superseding in the affairs of men, so as to protect his people. We read that in verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears attendeth to their prayer. How then is it permissible that if we keep our tongue from evil and deceitful speech, verse 10, and if we turn from evil and do good and seek and pursue peace, verse 11, that we should suffer for what is right. We don't deserve this. Something is wrong with the principle of reaping what one sows. Where's God's promise of protection? These are the thoughts that go through our mind because bad things come to us. And Peter is animating that. Well, that's the second point in your line, outline. There's a different path to God's blessing that's a bit different. The, gentle, the general principle is this. A man sows what he reaps. Sow righteousness, reap a reward from God. Sow evil, verse 12. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Nine times out of ten, this is what is going to happen. Even if we are not under the government of Christian leaders, listen to Paul's analysis in Romans 13. He writes that as believers we are to submit to the governing authorities. And then he explains, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Romans 13, verse 3 and 4. Again, this is the general pervading governing principle. There are exceptions, however. Sometimes the powers that be do not live up to their God-given mandate of protecting the righteous and punishing the wrongdoer. Sometimes the powers that be become corrupt themselves. Despots who would just as soon punish the righteous and reward the criminals. Because they themselves have become criminal and violators of all that is holy and just. We're not bound to obey such men because their rules violate the commands of God. The apostles met with this very problem in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Peter and John were commanded by the Jewish council, the governing authority of Jerusalem at that time. They were commanded, don't you be preaching anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. If you do, you're gonna be in trouble, Acts chapter five. Well, at such times, we have a decision to make. The apostles had this decision, do I serve God or do I serve the governing authority? Who is the ultimate authority? Is it government over God? Or is it God over government? And they chose the latter. Serving God was the right thing to do. But it is also the very thing the wicked disdain, and so there will be consequences for disobedience to the rules of men. The apostles were severely flogged. All of them were brought in and flogged on that occasion. Right. Flogging, Roman flogging, not something you wanted to go through. People died from flogging. None of the apostles died on that occasion, but it's a severe beating. Uh, Peter was in on the flogging. And it is Peter who is writing the words in our text. That being the case, what has happened here? Had God abandoned the principle of reaping what one sows? Has God forgotten His own resolve to watch over the righteous? Listen to their prayers, verse 12. Well, not at all. Instead, God has chosen another path to reward. Note again, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are what? You are blessed. You are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. The enemy of your soul and mind traffics in fear. Fear of physical pain. Fear of um, false accusations. Fear of being abandoned by friends and family. Fear of loss of personal property or personal means of support fear of confinement, fear of imprisonment. The proliferation of trouble in your life when you are doing good brings out similar accusations that Job faced from his companions. Instead of comfort, they heaped insults on him, blaming him for some secret sin that just had to be the reason for his suffering from their logic, from their thinking. You see, suffering for doing right never entered their thinking. You're suffering, Job. You're wicked. Now, we don't know exactly what the wickedness is, but you know and you need to fess up. And chapter after chapter in the book of Job's are his friends, his three friends, if you can call them that, taking their licks on poor Job in the midst of his anguish and pain. suffering for doing right, never crossed their minds. And what Peter is telling us in our text is this, it needs to cross your minds. You need to think that. And I, I, I gotta say, as a pastor, you know, sometimes when we have people going through rough times in their life and, and they're having all kinds of heartache, either financially or physically or whatever, there's that wicked thought that comes into our mind. Whoa, I wonder what's going on in their family. I wonder what's going on in their life. They must have been doing something really rotten, or God wouldn't be punishing them like this. We never think, oh, man, they must be doing something right for God. They must really be living close to the Lord. Is that the way we think? Not hardly. It is one way that God blesses His people for living a righteous life. Yes, general rule is, sow righteousness, reap good things. But sometimes it's sow righteousness, reap suffering for doing it. But even when it comes to suffering for righteousness, we are to conclude that we are blessed. It's a different path to God's blessing, but it is a sure road just the same and we need to be thinking deeply about that. Now then the second point in your outline what are the blessings of suffering for righteousness sake? Peter doesn't just say okay you you know if you're going through hard times you're still blessed God bless you. He gives us some reasons as to why we are blessed and how we can see the blessing of God. Number one There's the blessing of confident faith. Consider the reason for your suffering. Consider the reason for the false accusations, for the misrepresentations. He says, if you should suffer for what is right. What is right? What is right? Many a person would love to have that evaluation from God written on their tombstone. Here lies James Taylor. Here lies Mary Richards, who suffered death for doing right. Signed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you historically, that is true of many, many believers. Not everyone will have this assurance in this way. But many have and many to come will. Jesus taught His disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. John 16 verse 33. The Beatitudes of Matthew 5 have been A source of peace and comfort to God's people for centuries. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, etc., etc. Matthew 5, verse 3 and following. But have you considered how Jesus ends the Beatitudes? By the way, the word Beatitudes means to be perfectly blessed. So blessed are. Perfectly blessed. Here's how he ends the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. If you're going to read the Beatitudes, be sure to read those last few verses. This is all summed up in Peter's words. But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. How so? because only the righteous suffer for what is right. The destiny of the righteous, and by the way, this is Christ's righteousness applied to us, not self-righteousness. He's made us righteous in Him. The destiny of the righteous is the kingdom of heaven. The reward of God is heaven. We were talking about that in the adult uh, class this morning. The road you are walking is the same path taken by the prophets of God before you. We are walking arm in arm with the men of old like Elijah, like Jeremiah. Just think about their persecutions. To whom God spoke in audible revelations and through whom the Holy Scriptures came to be. These men directed the nation of Israel through their preaching and warn the pagan nations through their call to repentance. Yes, they were persecuted prophets, but they were blessed prophets. All of us would do well to suffer their fate. It's our badge of confidence that we are indeed people of faith. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. One of the ways that we determine that we are truly people of faith is this way. We become confident that we are the people of God. Secondly, there's the blessing of following Christ as Lord. Look at verse 15 of our text. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Peter has just instructed those who suffer for doing what is right, saying, do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. Now the they here are the people of the world. They cannot handle unjust suffering. They get angry. They try to get even. They plot revenge. And there's often no rhyme, no reason. The evil tragedy that occurred in the movie theater in Colorado, wherein 12 people were killed and dozens more wounded by a deranged shooter, has already resulted in an initial lawsuit in which the movie theater the movie producers, and the doctors who allegedly treated the shooter are all being charged with negligence by a friend, not even a victim, by a friend of one of the victims, saying, oh, I'm, I'm so traumatized that my friend was killed in this incident. It's likely more about greed than grief. But you see, there's no rhyme or reason to why that would happen. When believers suffer unjustly, their main concern is how they might represent Christ. He's our Lord. But Peter advises us, set apart Christ as Lord. There's no time in your life That will require you to acknowledge Christ as Lord more than those times when you suffer for having done what is right. That's a hard pill for us to swallow. We say, I'm just clicking them off. I'm going through life. I'm I'm watching my speech. I'm watching my behavior. I'm worshiping the Lord. I'm trying to live for Him in a godly way. And I have nothing but trouble. The world would say, see, <laughs> your, faith is, your faith is vain. <laughs> it's empty. You're doing all these wonderful things for God. And what's he doing for you? would get pouring out trouble on you. It's the lie of Satan. And as a help, Peter reminds us that Christ is the Lord of all such situations. And what is more, as Lord, he endured the same kind of treatment from the pagan world of his day. Here's what he said to his disciples in John 15. If the world hates you, he's not questioning that it does. It's more uh, like a third class condition in Greek. I know you'd just love to hear that. but Third class conditions should be translated since. See if this makes sense. Since the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. John 15 verse 18 through 20. See no path that you're traveling today. You're, you are not. I can tell you, you are not marking out new territory. You're not. Christ has gone the pathway before you. The night of his betrayal The gospel writer says, Returning the third time, he said to them, to his disciples, Are you sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas 1 of the 12 appeared, With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Mark 14, verse 41 through 43. A betrayer brought a group of persecutors to the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of prayer. Being a Christian carries with it tremendous implications. In 1 Peter 4, the next chapter, verse 16, Peter writes, If you suffer as a Christian, as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The name Christian. Wow. The world wants to say to us, Shame on you. You Christians are a bunch of doofus. You know, you, eh, you go through life, you got your heads in the cloud. Got all kinds of trouble. God isn't treating you very well. So why should I, why should I give any credence to the Christian faith? John MacArthur in his new book, Slave, writes about what it means to be a Christian. Here's what he says. For some, being Christian is primarily cultural and traditional. A nominal title inherited from a previous generation. The net effect of which involves occasionally attending church. For others, being a Christian is largely political a quest to defend moral values in the public square, or perhaps preserve those values by withdrawing from the public square altogether. Still more define Christianity in terms of past religious experience, a, a general belief in Jesus, or a desire to be a good person. Yet all of these fall woefully short of what it truly means to be a Christian. From a biblical perspective, to be a Christian in the true sense of the term is to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. As the Lord himself said in John 10 verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The name suggests more than a superficial association with Christ. Rather, it demands deep affection for Him, allegiance to Him, submission to His Word. You are my friends, if you do what I command you, Jesus said to His disciples in the upper room. John 15, verse 14. End of quote from John MacArthur. Now there's a lot of meat here in MacArthur's words, but the summary that says it succinctly and pointedly is Peter's exhortation in our text. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Only the true believer claims Christ as Lord. Those who have him as Lord are blessed by following in his footsteps suffering. They're happy to follow in the footsteps of the Master. They're looking down the road to the reward that's coming. There's blessing, you see, in suffering for righteousness' sake. Number three. There is the blessing of accurately representing the good news of the gospel. Verse 15, the latter part, says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Have you ever thought that um, you live your Christian life in a fishbowl? Do you know that people of the world are watching you, that they are listening to you, that they are observing your behavior? They're analyzing your reaction. When things don't go your way, they are considering how you conduct yourself in the midst of adversity. You may not think that you're being scrutinized that closely, but you are if if your faith is genuine. I think the world can smell a phony, just like we can. And they can smell a phony Christian. Just like we can. But a genuine faith, they can pick that out too. Why? Because a genuine faith changes people's behavior. Changed behavior causes people to wonder what has happened to you. Next chapter, 1 Peter 4, verse 4. Here's what Peter says. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into this same flood of dissipation. ESV says the same debauchery. The Greek word means to pour out in excess, to indulge in sin without restraint, to immerse oneself in wickedness. They think it's strange that you don't do that anymore. Let me read the rest of the verse. And they heap abuse on you. 1 Peter 4, verse 4. It goes something like this. You know, you used to be one of the boys. What has happened to you? There was a day when you could curse with the best of them, and your dirty jokes made us all double over with laughter. But now, I mean now you seem to 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 live in a self-inflicted monastery. You've changed. You're no fun anymore. The world can tell when we're genuine too. I hope you're scrutinized like that. I hope I'm scrutinized like that. And if we are, God is saying, the opportunity to tell others about our hope in Christ is there. As true Christians, we will not be ashamed of our new life in Christ. Nor will we take credit for it. As if by our own prowess, we have become righteous in our behavior No, the credit goes to God. The credit goes to His mercy. The credit goes to His grace. The credit goes to the righteousness of Jesus Christ being applied to us by faith. And the opportunity to say so is a blessing indeed. The abuse heaped on us coupled with questions on why we are different now than we once were Afford us, as Jesus taught, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge Him before the angels of God. Luke 12, verse 8. Matthew's account says, before the Father. Revelation 3, 5 states both. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Revelation 3, verse 5. Wow. When we suffer for righteousness' sake, we get to brag on Jesus to those who do not know him. Paul put it this way, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6 verse 14. You see the world loses its power to charm us not because of self-righteousness on our part but because Christ and his cross has crucified its sway over us. It's a blessing brethren to live life detached from the allurements of the world. John put it this way, everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and what he does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, verse 16 and 17. So, To be able to live life free from the sway and influence of the world is a great blessing and to be able to tell others how that occurred in our lives. God is opening a door for you to speak and He's using your life to open that door because they say, well you're just not the same guy you used to be. What's new? Wow, great opportunity to speak for Christ. Number four. Living a righteous life leads us to the blessing of a clear conscience amidst malicious slander. Look at verse 17 and verse 16. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their, what? Slander. Their lies. It is better... If it is God's will to suffer for doing good, then for doing evil. 1 Peter 3, verse 16 and 17. In our meditation reading this morning, we were reminded of the horrendous injustice done to Joseph when his brothers sold him to Ishmaelite traders en route to Egypt. And if that were not bad enough, when he got to Egypt, he was sold on the auction block As a slave, and he ended up in the household of Potiphar, captain of Pharaoh's guard. At first, Joseph seemed to fare pretty well. We read, Joseph found favor in the in his eyes, in Potiphar's eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Wow. We read on. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. The only thing Potiphar worried about was where his next meal was coming from. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Genesis 39 verses four through six. Well, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph's physique And she lusted after him like the adulterous woman in Proverbs 7. Time and again she would approach Joseph saying, Come to bed with me. And his answer was this. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Genesis 39 verse nine. But Potiphar's wife was not someone that took the answer no very well. Least of all from a servant And so next she planned an ambush. She dismissed all of the household servants on a set day and then grabbed Joseph by his tunic and said, Come to bed with me. Instead, Joseph fled, leaving his garment behind, and Potiphar's wife used that garment to convince her husband of Joseph's guilt. I put it in quote, his guilt. Long story short, Potiphar was enraged. He consigned Joseph to Pharaoh's dungeon where he spent the next two years in confinement for something of which he had been falsely and slanderously accused. We read that and we are outraged. How awful! That wicked woman's wagging and lying tongue netted Joseph years in prison for something he never did. Where's the justice in that? Where's God in that? What is more, why didn't Joseph protest? How is it that he could be so content with his sentence. I don't think that Potiphar's wife ever came clean about her false accusations. But be that as it may, Joseph slept peacefully every night in his prison cell. How so? His conscience was clear. His conscience was clear. He knew the words of Potiphar's wife to be nothing more than malicious slander. Verse 16 of our text. Even, even if Potiphar and others did not know that. Valuable blessing for living a righteous life in Christ. is a clear conscience. His concern from start to finish was this, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And God did not desert him in prison. We read Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So they're political prisoners here. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Oh boys, back to authority. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Sounds like Potiphar, right? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. In whatever he did. Genesis 39, verse 20 through 23. Success and reward as a prisoner in Pharaoh's dungeon. But there's more. In time, as you know, Joseph came to the attention of Pharaoh himself because of his exceptional ability to interpret dreams from God. And none of Pharaoh's soothsayers could interpret Pharaoh's dream, but Joseph could and did. And in short order, he went from prison manager to vice-regent of all Egypt. Let me read it for you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. He put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And the men shouted before him, make way, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Genesis 41, 41 through 44. We're never, never in a bad place to suffer for righteousness sake for God. Now brother not all of us will receive such a tangible reward as Joseph did in this life for living righteously but to win Christ is to win it all. Paul says what it is more I consider everything a loss I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3, verse 8. Priorities saved. Let me ask the question, what are your priorities in life? What are you living for? How do you use your time? How do you use your day? Where is obedience to Jesus in your portfolio? To use some financial terminology. There is a big surprise awaiting many who claim Christ as Savior. Some of those who take the name Christian that MacArthur was talking about. This is from the words of Christ himself can't believe the words of Christ himself, you're in real trouble, but here's what he says. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say, (laughs) many will say to me on that day, what day? Judgment day. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, um, did we not prophesy? Did we not preach in your name? Uh, In your name, did we not drive out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Matthew seven, twenty-one through 23. These are the scariest words in the New Testament scriptures. Not everyone who says, Anybody can profess, anyone can claim. What is the mark of true Christians? John tells us, if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims, To live in him must walk as Jesus did. 1 John 2, verse 5 through 5 and 6. Claiming, claiming, claiming words that don't hold water, not going to benefit you in the day of judgment. We have to walk as Jesus walked. What's your priorities? Where are you walking? So I kind of have, you know, I, I don't want to overdo it in this religious thing. I, I, moderation in all things, that's kind of my model. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to cut it with the Lord of glory. Well, Lord, you know, my model was moderation and all. They didn't want to overdo it, you know. I don't want to be known as a religious fanatic. Depart from me, You workers. Oh, no, Lord, <laughs> you must be mistaken. You see, I preached in your name. I had some wonderful sermons. Boy, people came, you know, they learned, they grew. And and I had some powerful exorcisms, demon-possessed people. I commanded, devil out, devil out. And the devils left them. Not only that, but I laid hands on people and healed them, and they were sick, and now they're well. <laughs> You, you do remember all those things, Lord, right? Huh? Depart from me, you evildoers. People can do the miraculous through satanic power. You can read about it in Thessalonians. Rather than in God's power. To live righteously. To walk with Christ. That's where your confidence had better be. And if not, then come to Christ today. Today, right where you are. And ask the Lord to make himself known to you. Lord, we pray for everyone here. We pray for Christians and unbelievers alike. Speak to their hearts. Draw them to thy grace. By thy grace. Have mercy on whom you will have mercy. Have compassion on whom you will have compassion. But Lord, please, just be merciful and compassionate. May we see the re- results for your glory. For us who know you, help us understand that, yeah, suffering for what's right, it's, it's a tough road, but it's, it's the master's road. It's the prophet's road. I pray that you'll help us. Maybe not shy away from trouble and turmoil simply because the world will take exception. To us, trying to live a righteous life. Forgive us our sins, Lord. We're believers, and we've had other priorities in our life. We've been faithless, not faithful. I pray, Lord, for the unsaved today, that you might grant them that faith and repentance that they need to come to Christ, draw them away from their logic. Their self-importance, their self-righteousness, their pride. Oh, the pride, the pride. Make us humble in Christ. He who was the King of glory humbled himself. Was made in the fashion of men that he might die for his people. And draw them into his family. Lord, will you do that for someone today? Draw them into your family. We ask in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.